Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. If any of you were here, I think it was about three or four years ago, we had a baptismal service and I was preaching on a subject and I brought this particular thing that I'm about to bring. So some of you might know this, some of you won't, but uh, I thought it was just worthy of bringing again because I love it and it's one of my favourites. So um, Ron just got a new sports car and Ron was showing off in his sports car and he cuts up this lorry driver. So the lorry driver and Ron have a bit of a, uh, 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 what do you call it, thing off, play off, what off? Uh, well, whatever. Anyway, anyway, it's a bit of road rage going on. The lorry driver cuts in in front of Ron to pull him across to the side of the road. And they both get out of their respective vehicles. And the lorry driver doesn't say anything. He just comes up to Ron and gets a piece of chalk and draws a circle around him. And then he says, do not step outside of that circle. And then the lorry driver, because he's fuming, he goes to his, tr- his truck and he gets his knife and he comes back to Ron's brand new sports car and slashes all the tires. And he looks around at Ron, and Ron's just like this. Just a little smirk. And the lorry driver's fuming. So he says, right, I'll show him. And he goes back to the sports car, and he slashes all the new leather seats. And he turns around, and Ron is starting to laugh. And the lorry driver's just like incensed. He goes back to his cab, and he gets some petrol, and he douses the entire car in petrol and sets it on fire. And when he turns around, Ron is literally like, rolling around on the floor in stitches. And the lorry driver's like, what is so funny? And Ron Ron says, when you weren't watching, I stepped out of the circle every time. (laughs) Ron had a problem with obedience. Old Blue Eyes used to sing, come on church, the record shows I took the blows and did it my way. That was oh, well done, Dan. Thank you for that. Wow. That was, of course, Cluffy's, one of Cluffy's favourite songs. Here's some of his favourite sayings as well. On dealing with players who disagree with him, Brian Clough would say, we talked for about 20 minutes, and then we both agreed that I was right. When I go, God's going to have to give up his favourite chair. I wouldn't say I was the best manager in the business, but I was in the top one. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but I wasn't on that particular job. And the River Trent is lovely, I know, because I've walked on it for 18 years. Cluffy did it his way, and there are loads of Bible characters that did it their way. Adam and Eve did things their way. God had given them everything in that garden. He said, there's just one tree, one tree I am not allowing you to eat from. And what did they do? Ate from the tree. There's Jonah in the Bible. God says says to him, go to Nineveh. And Jonah goes, no way, mate, I'm off to Tarshish. (laughs) Goes in the opposite direction. And then there's Haman, who wanted to hang all the Jews, so he built a huge gallows in his back garden, wanted to annihilate them, but his plan backfired. And then there's Judas, wanted to do things his way, betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And I've done it my own way a few times before. One of my mum's favourite photographs of me is at the age of two, we were in an orchard, there's a group of us, and everybody's going in that, that direction apart from me. Just going off my own way. I've done it all my life. Very independent spirit. At the age of four, I was a water baby. My brother hated the water, and I used to get so frustrated when we got to the swimming pool because 
He would take ages to get undressed because he didn't want to go in the water. But me, on the other hand, I would often try and just get in the water with my clothes on because I couldn't wait to jump in. And one day, at the age of four, I thought it'd be a really clever idea to put the armbands on my feet. I'll come back to that in a minute. At the age of 16, I decided it would be a really good idea to work Sundays in a nursing home, and I stopped going to church. At the age of 17, I made a vow to God. I'll come back to that later as well. At the age of 25, I left my job with the police, and I was lured by greed into a career with the promise of a BMW after three months. I'll come back to that in a minute. At 36, Ali and I attempted to leave a church because of the way we were being treated by the leadership. And I'll come back to that in a minute as well. It's great having free will. It's a gift from God. But the problem is, free will can be easily abused. We think in doing things our way that we're going to get what we want. But the problem with wrong decisions is that they have consequences. Brian Clough, as we know, had an amazing career, but on his last game ever before he retired, he got Forrest relegated out of the Premier League. And as we know, it took us a long time to get back up there. Adam and Eve, the consequence of them eating that apple was that they were thrown out of the Garden of Eden, out of fellowship, out of covering, and it impacted every single human being after him as well, including us. Jonah, the consequences of him trying to go the wrong way, was being thrown over a ship and sat in the belly of a whale for three days. Probably not a nice experience, especially if you're claustrophobic. And Haman, the consequence of him building those gallows for the Jews, saw him get hanged on his own gallows himself. And then obviously Judas ended up committing suicide when he realized what he'd done. Me, always wandering away, I could, anything could have happened to me. But I'm still here for the grace of God. Those armbands on my feet, Head to the bottom, feet at the top. Mother, in all her clothing, in the pool, helping me out. My decision to work Sundays saw me leave God behind for seven years. The vow that I took, I subsequently broke, and the Bible warns us in Ecclesiastes 5.5, it's better not to make a vow than to make one and break it. It's better not to make a promise at all than to make one and not be able to keep it. And the consequences of me breaking a vow before God saw me living in bondage for over a decade until I realized that I needed help and deliverance. Taking that job out of greed, it was the worst job that I've ever had. Fortunately for me, it only lasted 10 days, and then they told us that we were all made redundant. That was the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> but then I had no job, no salary. And attempting to leave our church saw us in our mentor's office with tears and snot and him saying to us, no, you've done that really wrong. That's a terrible way to leave. You need to go back do another half a year, submit to the leadership, submit to their authority, shut your mouths, do the right thing. That was really hard. Why do we do things our own way as opposed to God's? I guess because sometimes we just think we know better than him. So we take matters into our own hands or we just really want something so bad and we feel like God's putting a dampener on it because we're not getting it. Or we tell ourselves that something has to be done even though most of the time we know that what we're planning probably isn't right. We act on impulse rather than waiting on God's guidance. We don't live by faith. We rely on our own intelligence and our own giftings and our own abilities rather than doing the things his way and in his time. And God's instructed us to. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it will lead to death. I want to get to the end of my life and know that I did it God's way, not my way. How many times of our lives have we lived the way that we want to live, done the things that we want to do, gone to the places that we want to go, said the things that we want to say, made the decisions seem right for us, but ultimately 
we gain nothing. Or even worse, we lose a whole lot more. I've given you a handful of examples of how I did it my way. It would take me weeks to stand here and tell you all my blunders. And blunder was my middle name growing up. But here's the contrast. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was going to hang on that cross, he was praying and he was sweating drops of blood. And he says to God, Father, if it is possible, take this cup, take this burden from me. Nevertheless, however, in spite of, not my will, but yours be done. How close are we to that standard of submission? Hey, welcome home, Debs, from your honeymoon. You have a good time? Photos look good on Facebook, very nice. In effect, Jesus was saying, God, I'm not going to go my own way. I will do whatever you tell me to do. I choose to go your way, no matter how hard, no matter how long, no matter what the cost, even crucifixion, I trust you. I'm pretty sure that if a guy came, walked in that, those doors now and put a gun to my head and said, renounce Jesus or die, I'm pretty convinced that I would stand here and say, I love Jesus Christ. I'm pretty convinced of it. Now, we don't know because thank Jesus, we've never been in that horrendous situation that some people have been in. But one gunshot, and you're in heaven, and you're martyred, and you're having a great time, and your life is eternal with Jesus. And you get a crown. That'd be nice. That'd be easy. The hard part is living for Christ, not physically dying for him. The hard part is staying down here, and trying to be in a Christian, in a very postmodern Christian world. So this morning, I want to talk to us about obedience. And the Bible definition is from the Greek word called hupakuo. Say hupa with me. Hupa. Say kuo. Kuo. Hupakuo. Try and say it without opening your mouth very much. Hupakuo. I've been practicing that. Hupakuo. When these two words are compounded together, they picture someone who is hupa, which means under, and kuo, which means I hear, under someone else's authority. Kuo, listening to what that authority, what that superior is speaking to them. And after listening and taking the instructions to heart, the orders are carried out. So the word is telling us to obey, to come under authority, to submit, to listen to what your superior is saying, and to carry out any orders that we're given. How are we doing with that? How are you doing with your hoopa kuo? The problem is, obedience isn't very cool. In fact, it's not cool at all in our Western culture that loves to celebrate the rebellious, the radicals, the, com the, the progressives, not the conformists, which is what we're meant to be. But Hebrews 11.8 tells us that obedience is the outward expression of a heart that is turned towards God. How's your heart? Is your heart turned towards God? I love the story of the disciples out fishing. Fishermen with any experience on the Sea of Galilee knew that the optimal time to catch fish was during the night in the shallow water. Because during the, the, the day, the fish would dive deep so they couldn't find them. It was more difficult to be successful. So when Jesus instructs Peter, who'd been fishing all night, when he says to him, Peter, just go and stick that net out again, Peter must have been thinking, right, I love you, Jesus, but... You know, you're no fisherman. You've not been on my boat before. You don't know what you're doing. And yet, all we hear is that Peter decided to obey. 
and throw his nets out. At your word, let it be done. He was probably still expecting nothing. He just wanted to be obedient because that's what we're called to be. And maybe you can remember a time when God asked you to do something and you just didn't get it. Sometimes when God asks us to do things, it just doesn't make sense in the natural. It's hard. It hurts. And I don't know, maybe some of you are in that season right now where you just know God's asking something of you, but you just can't make sense of it. I just want to say, trust me, do whatever he's asking you to do, because it always comes good with God. Peter stuck those nets out again simply because Jesus asked him to. And what happened? They caught so many fish that their nets sank and they had to ask other boats to come and help them because the boats were sinking under the weight of those fish as well. We may not know exactly why God is calling us to do something or asking something of us, but just be sure to do it because he can blow our minds. He can blow our minds with his miraculous hand. The story is told of a dad and daughter who had a great dame called Samson who it turns out was quite well-named because he was big and strong and muscular. And like his namesake, he also had an inclination for wandering off. They built fences, they tried to chain him up, they introduced dog runs, and they tried everything to keep Samson from running away. But he'd dig under the fence or he'd climb over it. And so they decided to buy the best-selling book on the market on the subject of dog training. Anybody remember Barbara Woodhouse? Sit! <laughs> No Bad Dogs was one of her books. And reading the book, they realized what Samson, their dog's problem was. I want to read you a paragraph from the book. Oh, just out of interest, um, hands up, who's got a dog? Oh, wow. Wow. This is, this is you're going to like this. Or you might not. In a dog's mind, a master or a mistress to love, honor, and obey is an absolute necessity. The love is dormant in the dog until brought into full bloom by an understanding owner. Thousands of dogs appear to love their owners. They welcome them home with enthusiastic wagging of the tail and jumping up and down. They follow them around the house happily. And to the normal person seeing the dog, the affection seems to be true and deep. But to the experienced dog trainer, this outward show isn't enough. The true test of love takes place when the dog has the opportunity to go out on its own. And as soon as the door is left open by mistake, it goes off and doesn't return for hours. It's having a great time, it's running free, it's chasing squirrels, Sosa's laughing, because we all know what Bert is like. But it shows that the dog doesn't truly love the master or mistress as they fondly think. Because true love in dogs is apparent when a door is left open and the dog still stays happily within earshot of its owner. The owner must be the be-all and end-all of the dog's life. Now, I kind of witnessed this a little bit on Tuesday when I went to Skegness with Jenny and Julie, who both have dogs. Jenny, I'm not convinced Max really loves you. <laughs> but the real test of our Christianity isn't so much what we do and what we say, it's this. When we have the opportunity to wander off, when we have the opportunity to disobey, or to not listen, or to walk away from God's presence? Do we make a run for it, or do we stay close to our master? Do we submit? Do we abide? Do we dwell? Do we obey God? I hope it's the latter, because that's what our role model and our me mentor modeled for us. Philippians 2.8, talking to Jesus, says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Obedience means surrender. It means we want to please the Lord, just like the dog wants to please its owner. 
Obedience means we never want to upset or offend Jesus with our lifestyle. It means we shouldn't want to sin. It means letting go of our own will in complete surrender to his. And it may mean having to say no to some things that other people are doing. It means listening to God's voice and not conforming to the pattern of this world. This world is well messed up, let me tell you. We are not fitting in to the culture of this world. And obedience isn't just about being a good Christian. It's about being a good citizen as well. Keeping the law of the land. Paying our taxes. Tip the waiter and the waitress. Even if they're rubbish, tip them. It's the right thing to do. It's a good, generous thing to do. Be honest. Don't go over the speed limit. <laughs> Did you hear that over the microphone? Someone once said this, the last thing to get saved on a Christian is their right foot. My right foot is not saved yet. I know, help me, Lord. <laughs> Obedience is so important for our walk with the Lord. And I just wanted to share 10 benefits, but for the benefit of time, I'm definitely not going to share 10. So let me just try and pick out some of the better ones. <laughs> They're all brilliant. When the Lord asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son and he was about to do it, no questions asked. This was God's reaction. Because you've obeyed me and have not withheld your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. One of the benefits of obedience is blessing and multiplication. Sometimes our obedience will cost us something. Sometimes it will be a sacrifice. And some of us in the room know that. Some of us in the room have been called to full-time ministry. We've left our careers and our salaries behind. And some of you have, have let go of things because you knew the Lord was calling you to. And it's hard. But there are blessings. Every time God asks you to do something, just do it. There are blessings. And you will see the hand of God in your life. And then there's long life. Can obedience really affect the length of our days? Well, yeah, you bet it can. I found 12 different Bible verses that have backed up this benefit. But Deuteronomy 4.40 says, If you obey all the decrees and commands I am giving you today, all will be well with you and your children. I am giving you these instructions so you will enjoy a long life in the land your God is giving you for all time. And then there's a the classic commandment about loving your parents and when you honor your parents that God will give you long life. And then, of course, there's salvation. That's a really long life. We've got protection. We've got answered prayer. These are all benefits of being obedient. We've got power. Let me read you this one. I was only reading this week in two Chronicles about King Jotham. He was one of the ones who actually did do some good in the sight of God. And it says this, Jotham became very powerful. Why? Because he was careful to live in obedience to the Lord his God. And when we're saved, God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to live within us, to help us, to strengthen us, to obey him. And the more we walk in obedience to God, the more powerful the work of God will be in your life. But how many of you know, when we begin to walk in disobedience, the power of the Holy Spirit is lessened with us. He doesn't leave us. He's always within us. We're saved. But he does go quiet. Here's a spiritual truth. The more we obey, the more power we have to obey. And the less we obey, the less power we have to obey. But don't worry, there's a reset button. It's called confession and repentance. It's all the way back to the benefits of being obedient. 
Number six is Revelation. In John 14, 21, Jesus speaks these words. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will show them and show myself to them. When we're obedient, Jesus shows himself to us. He reveals himself. So obedience leads to revelation. You wouldn't want a bit of that. Revelation is the supernatural and miraculous communication of truth directly into our minds and spirits from above. It's the revealing of divine mysteries. Anybody want a bit of that? The revealing of divine mysteries. Yes, please, Lord. It might come through his word. It could come through the preaching. Or you might just be with friends. Or, or there's a circumstance that happens to you. And you just know. Whoa. It's one of those um, eureka moments where the light bulb just comes on in your mind. And you just think, whoa. Wow. I get it. I get it now. It's a God moment. But it comes through obedience. Number seven is intimacy. Judas asked John. Judas asked in John 14, 22, Lord, why will you reveal yourself only to us and not to the world? And Jesus' response is, all who love me will do what I say. We, my Father and I, will come and we'll make our home with you. I love that. God wants to make his home in our hearts. And when we're obedient, he comes in. Home is family, isn't it? Home is comfy. It's where we go at the end of the day to enjoy people that we love. It's where you kick off your feet and go full length on your sofa. It's safety, it's security, it's love, it's intimacy. And that's where God wants to live with us. I love that. He wants to live in every part of our house. He wants to be a part of our entire families. And Jesus said in Matthew 12, when you obey my heavenly father, that makes you a part of my true family. There is a promise of intimacy and family when we're grafted onto the vine that Lynn talked about earlier, when we obey him. How are we doing? Peace. God can give us a gift that the world will never be able to. Peace of mind. A peace that surpasses all understanding. It's a gift. The gift of being able to live in freedom from fear. It's the gift of obedience. There are two rulers. The ruler of this world, Satan, and the ruler of the universe, Jesus Christ. Jesus has all authority over everything. Satan has no power over Jesus. And when we walk in obedience, then we realize that Satan has no power over us either. No power. That's why you can have a peace. You ever notice the first thing that you lose when you sin, when you disobey God, is your peace. You know. You know in your knower, I've done wrong. I need to get my peace back. Number nine is fruitfulness. Obedient Christians are fruitful ones. The word says they shall know them by their fruit. And the fruit of an obedient life is an incredible blessing for those who walk with them. It's in Galatians 5:22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are all ours, guys. We have every single one of them inside of us. It's a gift from God. He's the vine. We're the branches. Stay close to him. Allow him to prune you. Let's be like the guy in Psalm 1, planted by brooks of bliss, bearing fruit in and out of season, never dry, never fainting. And finally, number 10, revival. Obedience is the first step to revival because a revival always includes the conviction of sin that leads to repentance, which is basically just the new beginning of obedience. We're stepping out in Ruddington. We've had our second revival night. We're just doing what we feel God has told us to do, we're being obedient. 
to him. And we're expecting revival because it's a reward. It's one of the blessings of being obedient to God. George Muller once said, you can come up band, thank you. Every instance of obedience from right motives strengthens us spiritually, whilst every act of disobedience weakens us. I've totally whizzed through 10 benefits of obedience. I haven't even touched on the disobedient part. That's an entirely different sermon in itself. But the Bible is really clear that the consequences of sin is death. Disobedience is sin. Disobedience separates us. It cuts us off from God. He literally hides his face from us. He, it, it hinders the mercy that he wants to show us. It puts a wall up, a barrier between us and God. So the easiest thing I can say is, just don't be disobedient because it won't get you anywhere. But if you're obedient, the consequences are literally stunning. So choose this day to take these words of Jesus to heart. Blessed, happy, fortunate, prosperous, and to be envied are those who hear the word of God and obey it. When you obey it, you're blessed. Obedience brings blessings, and I, for one, want to be showered with them. And secondly, I want every single one of you to experience the blessing of God in your obedience. Amen. God bless you.